It is so good to see you all here. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life Lutheran. Thank you for those of us who are joining online as well. Today, we are continuing our sermon series, Lord of All. We started this series back at the beginning of May, and we looked at, the, at Saul, who later would be known by Paul, and he had this experience with Jesus. He went from not recognizing Jesus as Lord and just thinking that Jesus was this rabble-rouser and heretic, and he met Jesus, and he completely changed his tune, and he started referring to Jesus as Lord. Jesus, or Jesus as Lord of all. And even in Colossians, Paul didn't just see this as something that Jesus is Lord over our behavior or our doctrine, but that Jesus is Lord over the entire cosmos, that he holds all things together and that all things were created through him and for him. Certainly, Jesus is Lord of all. And as we explore this Easter season, we are exploring all the different ways that Jesus is Lord. We started talking about families first, and then last week we heard about how Jesus is Lord of our work, and today we're going to talk about how Jesus is Lord of our neighborhoods, and ultimately our community. And the way that we're going to talk about this is looking at this letter to the Hebrews. Now, so far we've been looking at Paul's letters. This letter to the Hebrews, we don't actually know who wrote it. Um, it was certainly one of the apostles or someone associated with the apostles. That's why we have it in our scriptures. So early on in the church, this is for free. I won't charge you for this one. But early on in the history of the church, uh, the, the church leaders got together and they began to test all these letters that were circulating. And they really whittled it down to these few letters that they knew for sure were written by one of the apostles or one of their close associates on behalf of the apostles, which is how we get our scriptures, the New Testament that we have today. So we know that Hebrews was written from this perspective of one of the church leaders uh, writing to this group of Jewish Christians. And he was reflecting on all kinds of things about who Jesus is. And ultimately it comes down to Jesus is better than the best things in our world. So from a Jewish perspective, they would have looked at Abraham, Moses, David, the high priests, and they would have understand these are the ways that God has broken into our world. These are the people that God uses to break into our world. And Hebrews, it's all about how Jesus is better than all those things. He's the better Abraham. He's the better Moses. He's the better David. He's the better high priest. And we worship him and we praise him because of his loftiness and his goodness. And what the 13th chapter of Hebrews, which is what we're looking at today, is all about, it's about how this uh, loftiness of Jesus overflows. So Hebrews 13 is this litany, and you probably heard it, of all these different kinds of relationship. It starts out, let love continue, let mutual affection continue. And then it talks about families and leaders and all these different types of relationships that we have. And here's the principle of Hebrews 13, and this is my one point for the day, okay? The one thing that I want you to know, my one and only point this morning, is that what happens here in the church, the worship, the fellowship, the discipleship, what happens here in the church overflows into the community. That's what Hebrews 13 is all about, and that's what today's about. What happens here 
our worship, fellowship, discipleship is designed to overflow and affect and transform our community. And specifically, I'm using the words neighborhoods, and I'll tell you why I'm using that word here in a little bit. And in fact, this idea of it overflowing is central to who we are as New Life. Our mission and vision statement is transformed hearts, transformed lives, that's the person, and then it's transformed communities and transformed worlds. This is integral to the work of Jesus Christ, that he changes individuals. Those individuals are gathered together. Those transformed individuals are gathered together as the transformed congregation. And then they go out into their lives, into their work, and into their places of being, of living, and where they live, work, and play. And they bring that transformation to every little corner and nook and cranny of their neighborhoods and community. What happens here overflows into our neighborhoods and into our community. And so we're gonna look at just two verses, two verses. The first one is verse two of chapter 13. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without even knowing it. So the writer of Hebrews is encouraging these Jewish believers to continue to show hospitality, to not neglect this practice of welcoming people into their homes to have meals and to live there for prolonged periods of times. And the reason is, is because people who have done this have actually brought in and entertained angels without noticing it, without realizing it. Have you heard this verse before? Is this familiar to you? Kind of a strange concept, isn't it? So, so there are spiritual beings out there that sometimes come into my home when I invite these strangers into my home. Sometimes they're angels. And I think from a very plain sense, yes, I think that's what the writer is saying, that these spiritual beings that serve God and know God, they are sometimes sent by God to interact with us. And that word angel simply means messenger. So in the New Testament, when they talk about angels, Usually, they're referring to this, these spiritual beings who are sent by God to tell people something. So what I think this passage is saying is, yes, when you invite strangers, people you don't know into your home, sometimes they're spiritual beings sent by God to give you grace. But I think that if we take this a step back and we think even wider beyond that, that word angels, it's angelos in Greek, does not refer only to spiritual beings, but can also refer to people. Because it's just a messenger, a messenger. So if I write a letter and I give it to somebody and they deliver it to somebody else, from the Greek perspective, that's an angelos, that's an angel. That person is a messenger. They are delivering a message. And I think what this passage is inviting us to think about is that there are people in our lives who are put into our lives and give us the grace of God even when we don't realize it. And that's a big change from how we normally think about people in our lives. Because most of us treat the other people that we interact with, we might have our friends and kind of our associates, but most of the strangers that we interact with, we see them as stumbling blocks on our goal, right? If you are driving to the grocery store and somebody is driving too slow in front of you, they are a stumbling block. And you know what, you don't care who that person is or what their experience is or how old they might be, they're a stumbling block on your way to the grocery store. Or maybe it's the opposite. 
Maybe you're driving to the grocery store and you're driving safely and all of a sudden someone comes up behind you and drives up and tailgates you and then whips around you and gets in front of you and drives off and that like upsets you and worries you. And you don't care about that person or what kind of rush they might be in or what their experience have been. All you know is that they upset you. And you're like, why can't they drive safe? Why do they have to drive so fast? Most of the time, the strangers that we interact with, we don't really see them as people. Or we don't even see them as potential messengers of God's grace. We see them as stumbling blocks or annoyances that have to be measured or uh, managed. Or they might be problems that have to be fixed. You might have neighbors down your street that they let their lawn grow too long and they let their music play too loud and they have these cars that are all broken down and kind of gross and you think, why can't they just X, Y, and Z? Or maybe their kids are running around the yard too, right? Yelling and screaming and doing all kinds of things and you think, why can't they manage their kids better? Why can't they just mow their yard? Why can't they just do X, Y, and Z? By the way, I'm that neighbor. Okay, I'm just going to confess that to you. My yard is too long, and uh, uh, yeah, my yard, my yard is too long, my music is too loud, and my kids run around our yard like cavemen. Okay, so I am that neighbor, just so you know. But we see that as an annoyance. If they don't take care of their house the way that we think, or if they don't interact with their kids the way that we think, or they don't manage their household the way that we think, we are annoyed by them. And what this passage is inviting us to think about is that those people, those strangers, even people we may not like or want to be associated with, might in fact, and probably are, messengers that God has placed in our lives to give us grace and for us to give them grace. These strangers that we don't really want to be associated with oftentimes are given to us by God to receive grace and to give grace. Because here's the deal, hospitality, really just plainly, it just means bringing people into your home. And God has brought us into his household. Even if we don't, especially if we don't deserve it. Because none of us do deserve it. None of us have earned it. He has welcomed us into his family. He has brought us close to him. And every single week, I mean, for goodness sake, this is a Lutheran church, that's kind of the whole point. The whole point of Lutheranism is that you don't earn it. It's given as a gift to us. We preach it every single week. We have confession and forgiveness every single week. We know this, that we have not deserved God's grace and gift to us, being part of his family. And that is going to overflow, and it ought to overflow into our neighborhoods, into our community. That there are people out there in our community right now, there are people who live on your street Maybe they live right next door to you. Maybe they're literally your neighbor and they need God's grace. They need to feel part of a family that isn't dysfunctional. They need to be part of a family that isn't traumatized by generational poverty and generational dysfunction. They need to be part of something. And you have a home that's transformed by Jesus Christ. And this passage is inviting us to think of our home as a tool for the kingdom in order to spread the gospel. And I think when we think about this idea of neighbors, we have this abstraction of we have our neighbors, right? The people who live out there. Or we have our community, this abstract idea, collection of people. But our neighbors are actual flesh and blood people 
that live near us and that we interact with on a day-to-day, business, on a day-to-day basis. Our neighbors are actual flesh and blood people who need Jesus. Our community is not just this idea. Our community is actual flesh and blood people who have their own harms and hurts and trauma, and they need the healing and transformation of the gospel. These Jewish Christians, they were already really good at hospitality. It's just kind of like, it was like built into their law to open up their homes to people who are far from them, to open up their homes to foreigners. This was a normal practice. Someone would come into town, you didn't know who they were, you didn't know where they came from, they needed a place to stay, and you would open up your home to them. That was just kind of the common practice of this time. And the writer of Hebrews here is encouraging them to show even more hospitality. And so I think that we need to take the first step where they're quite a bit ahead of us. And so I think the first step is in using our home using our home as a tool for the kingdom, understanding that every single person we interact with is a person that God has ordained to be, uh, to be in our life, that that interaction is not by accident, it's on purpose. And in that interaction, you're gonna give them grace and they're gonna give you grace. And even if they don't know God, God will still use them just because he likes to do that. He likes to use people who don't even know him to spread his good news to others. So treat others, see others as angels ordained by God to be in your life at that time. And the writer of Hebrews continues here in verse three, remember those who are in prison as though you were in prison with them. Those who are being tortured as though you yourselves were being tortured. So here the writer of Hebrews moves beyond just our strangers, just those who are coming through town or that we interact with on a day-to-day basis, but now they bring up people who are suffering, those who are in prison and being tortured. Now, probably this is about the brothers and sisters in Christ who are being persecuted uh, by being thrown in prison or tortured, but I do think that we can broaden this out to understand all those who are suffering. We are called to love and to heal and to alleviate the suffering of those around us. Again, what happens here overflows into the community. And you have traumas and pain and suffering and hurt in your life that God has healed. Some of you are being healed right now. We're all in different paths of healing where we are and what God has done to transform us, to move us from the suffering into this place of wholeness and healing but God has brought some sort of peace, some sort of goodness into your life, and some sort of healing into your life. Maybe on a psychological, on an emotional, or on a physical level. And what happens here ought to overflow into our community. That there are those in our community who are hurting and damaged and traumatized, and we are called to heal them, to offer them the gospel, offer them the same grace that God has given to us. And we, frankly, not just we as in new life, I think we as in a Western culture are not very good at treating people who are suffering well. We're not very good at it. These Jewish Christians, they were awesome at it. In fact, it was part of the law. It was part of the law. They were required to take care of those who were suffering and homeless. There were laws about leaving food for those who had no food. There were laws about taking care of and bringing in your family members, even if they're very distant, into your home in order to take care of them. 
There's a great example of this in the Old Testament. Uh, it's from the book of Ruth. And it's a story about Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi, and this distant relation named Boaz. You guys know this story? Okay, just to recount it very quickly, Ruth is a non-Israelite woman. She's a foreigner who's living in the land of Moab, which is this foreign land. She marries an Israelite man. That Israelite man dies, and all that's left is her and her mother-in-law, Naomi, this Israelite woman. Now, Naomi knows, because she's an Israelite, she knows the law. She knows that if they can get back home, if they can get to the land of Judah, if they can get back to the land of the Israelites, she knows that somebody will have to take care of Ruth and Naomi. And so they travel back to Judah, to the land of Judah, and sure enough, there are some distant relatives of Ruth's late husband, and they know that by law, those distant relatives have to bring them in. And the whole story of Ruth and Boaz is Boaz welcoming Ruth and Naomi into his household, even though he didn't know his distant cousin, right? Third cousin, twice removed on his mom's side, right? He doesn't know this person from Adam. But Boaz welcomes Ruth and Naomi, even though at that time, women could not work and earn money. From a, from a strictly like business standpoint, there was no asset that those women were bringing into the family. But Boaz, moved by compassion, welcomes them in to his family because he knows that it's law. He has to do it. And he knows that it is right and it is good to do so. That relationship is called the Kinsman Redeemer. It's a really cool story. It's a very short book. Find it in your Bibles this week and read it. It's a beautiful story, um, the book of Ruth. But so this was built into their law. They were required by law to take care of their distant relatives, to bring them into their home, to feed them, to serve them, and all that kind of stuff. In fact, uh, this is another little side note that I think is really interesting. Slavery in the Old Testament, even slavery, was the laws were there to protect the people who were weakest, the people who were actually enslaved. Um, and in Exodus 21, we actually get some laws about being enslaved and what that means. And when slavery for the Jews in the Old Testament, it wasn't chattel slavery the way that we think about it. It wasn't like race-based like we had here in the United States. Um, it actually had to do with more like indentured servitude, where if you had somebody who could not manage their finances well, they were, maybe they were farming land or they were borrowing from some wealthy landowner, if they got so far into debt that they could not pay it back, they would become an indentured servant or a slave. And according to the law, once that relationship happened and that person became an indentured servant, they had to serve the debt owner for seven years. And after seven years, the debt owner was required by law to release them and pay them for the seven years of work they did and bless them. When somebody made bad decisions, when somebody got into debt, they weren't punished for it. They were actually brought into the household of the person who owned their debt. They worked for seven years, and then they got paid for it and sent away with a blessing. And there's a provision in that law as well, that if the person, the indentured servant, the slave, if they thought, hey, this family's really great to me, and to my family. They take care of us, and I don't know if I can manage myself well. 
they could opt in to lifetime service to the debt owner. They could opt into that if they wanted to. But after seven years, they had to be released and they had to get paid for their work. The Jews were really, really, really good at taking care of people who were suffering, who were poor, and who were in need. If they're at a college level of taking care of people of benevolence, we're at like a preschool level, okay? We think we're doing pretty well when we write some checks to some charities, okay? We think that we're doing okay when we just like give some money to certain groups. The Jews at this time, they put their money where their mouth is. And they actually brought people into their homes to serve them and to love them. And here the writer of Hebrews is telling them to remember, increase your love and service to them. And it's just like what happens here. We have not earned it, we have not deserved it, but God has brought us into his family. He has given us healing and hope and alleviation from suffering, and that ought to overflow into our neighborhoods and into our community, into the flesh and blood people who live out there. Because there are people in our community who are hurting and in need. They're sick and they're dying and they're desperately looking for relief from their generational trauma, from their poverty. They're desperately looking for relief from their family issues. They're desperately looking for relief from their hopelessness and they're dying out there. They're drowning. They need help. This is the place. This is the place that offers transformation to our community. Nowhere else in our community is there any place like the church where you say, you are welcome here no matter what. It doesn't matter how well you dress, how badly you dress, how much you stink. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter what you're gonna do in the future. You're gonna walk into this building and every single one of us is gonna confess that we've done wrong, that we sin, and we do not deserve God's grace. And then we get to hear that God still gives his grace and he still welcomes us into his family. And then we get sent out of this place with a blessing to deliver this same gracious message to our neighbors out there who are desperately drowning in hopelessness. This is the place of hope. This is the place of transformation. This is the place where we hear about a God who has created us and loved us. There's no other place for them to find it but here in the congregation of believers. I don't mean here in the building, right? I mean in our congregation. Where are the people? We're this like little colony of transformation in a world that is dying. We're this little household of new creation in a world where there's only death. And God has called us and demands of us that we go into our neighborhoods to the flesh and blood people who live next to us that we interact with and to deliver this grace, understanding that he's also gonna use them to transform us. He's gonna use them to draw us closer to himself. He's gonna use our experiences with them to bring us into greater relationship and trust in Jesus Christ. Nothing is by accident. And God has placed you on a particular street with particular neighbors in a particular business dealing with particular people day in and day out, and yes, even in a particular family, he has placed you in it, and it's on purpose to build creation, new creation right there, to cultivate it and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. 
Because Jesus isn't just Lord of you. He's not just Lord of this church. He's not just Lord of your life. He's Lord of the community. And he has commissioned us with this role to go out, to proclaim the good news, to alleviate suffering, and to use our homes, our finances, and our time as tools for the kingdom of God. Amen. Let's pray. Well, Father, I